Hi, and welcome to the What on Earth Can We Do podcast, the show where we chat with environmental leaders from across Alberta to figure out what on earth we can do to take action against climate change and protect our environment. I'm your host, Bree Hewitt, the Communications and Engagement Specialist at the Alberta Emerald Foundation. And today, we're talking about eco-anxiety with Sasha Adamova from the Alberta Youth Leaders for Environmental Education and Sebastian Rio from Camerospace nonprofit NAWO. Before we chat with Sasha and Sebastian, let's set the stage for our discussion by learning a bit more about eco-anxiety. Based on the term alone, you might have a good understanding of what eco-anxiety means, but there actually is a common definition for it. The term eco-anxiety was created in 2017 and refers to the feelings of loss, helplessness, and frustration that come from watching the impacts of climate change unfold. Now, anybody can experience eco-anxiety, but to learn more about how specific age groups experience it, a research study was conducted in 2021 that surveyed 10,000 people between the ages of 16 and 25 in 10 different countries to gather their thoughts and feelings about climate change. The study found that 59% of respondents were extremely or very worried about climate change, and 84% were at least moderately worried. Over 50% of respondents felt sad, anxious, and powerless when it came to the topic of climate change and over 45% said their feelings about climate change negatively affected their daily life and functioning. So, after learning a bit more about eco-anxiety, the topic seems pretty heavy, and it is. But today, we'll be chatting with our guests about their experiences with eco-anxiety, their tips for how they deal with it, and how they turn anxiety into action. Now, before we start our conversation with Sasha and Sebastian, I want to share a bit about their background and how they came to be guests on the show. Sasha and Sebastian are a part of two organizations that were named recipients at the 31st Annual Emerald Awards. For those of you who haven't heard of the Emerald Awards before, it's an awards program that showcases organizations, projects, and individuals across Alberta who are raising the bar in addressing environmental and climate change issues. Sasha's group, the Alberta Youth Leaders for Environmental Education, received an award in the youth category, sponsored by Capital Power. And Sebastian's group, NAWO, received the award in the community group or nonprofit category, sponsored by Syncrude Canada. And with that, let's welcome our guests. Hi, Sasha and Sebastian. Thanks so much for joining us. Can both of you share a bit about your backgrounds? So your organization, what you do with the organization, uh, and what brought you to be here today? Starting with Sasha, do you want to go? Sure. So my name is Sasha. I am 16 years old and I'm currently, I'm in grade 11 in school, but I also do a lot of work with Alberta Youth Leaders for Environmental Education. So it's mostly an organization founded on ensuring climate literacy in Alberta and really helping almost alleviate some of that climate uncertainty certainty, climate anxiety by editing the curriculum in Alberta schools to make sure that we all have a better path forward. I have been with the program for probably about five years now. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here once again and really just talk about climate anxiety and the environment in general. Awesome. Thanks, Sasha. And what about you, Sebastian? So, uh, my name is Sebastian Ryu. I'm with uh, Naval Global Energy. Uh, we're a nonprofit social enterprise based here in Alberta. Uh, we do work in primarily the solar industry, 
in addition to energy audits and energy retrofits. Um, and we're starting to do some work in food sovereignty as well. Um, NAWO is the Cree word for the number four. Number four is sacred to the Plains Cree people. Uh, refers to mind, body, spirit, emotion, the four cardinal directions, the four elements, uh, amongst other things. It was a name gifted to us by Elder Roy Lewis from the Pasquatries. And um, yeah, Nebo's work really is an experiment at the end of the day. It's um, an experiment in how we can balance the tension between valuing inner transformation work, mind, body, spirit, emotion, with external productivity, getting, you know, projects and things done. Um, so a lot of our work manifests as going into communities and helping them, yeah, I guess, uh, take action on climate solutions in addition to training and employing individuals from their community that are typically barriered from these industries. So that's yeah, probably a good enough intro on me. Hopefully you get to know a little bit more about us as we go. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, Sebastian. Okay, so as you know, we're going to be chatting about eco-anxiety today. And my, my first question for both of you is if and when was the first time you experienced eco-anxiety and, and what prompted it? I actually have a very specific moment in mind because um, it was, I was probably about nine years old. I was in grade four and we had this current events type project. And that was actually the first time I learned about climate change. And I think the important part was that it wasn't from my school. It wasn't really from my parents. It was from the internet. So I think that actually defined a lot of what my climate education was like. And the first time I actually heard about it, I thought it was a joke because there's no way something that serious is just being ignored by everyone but surprise so um i was really confused i was definitely very sad about it no one took the time to explain positive actions to me to sit me down to talk me through it and i just was trapped in this kind of like really depressive list of news and like conversations and stuff like that and I think it really would have been helpful if I had mentors or at least some school education, which is definitely what Ailey works towards. Um, it's increasing climate education in schools to specifically prevent this kind of thing from happening. And I actually spend the next few years like avoiding environmental topics because they specifically scared me a lot. And I would not recommend doing that. I can't necessarily say I've ever truly experienced eco-anxiety, but I, I like to think it's because I'm a strong believer in the resilience of nature. But I have seen, I guess, the manifestations of climate change um, in my time as a wildfire fighter on the ground and seen, you know, what that can look like and the impact of it. But I... I've certainly experienced anxiety in a lot of different ways. Um, but I, I just, I have this like deep trust in nature. And so I, you know, I, I can't remember when I would have first uh, been introduced to climate change, but I've always been kind of positive about it. 
Um, and I know this isn't necessarily a good answer for what we want to talk about uh, because, you know, I haven't like wrestled with it and come up with something new. But yeah, I just, I have this deep trust in nature. And I also really believe that the issue of climate change is calling us to face uh, a collective shadow that we carry that we either face and succeed or we don't. And I've always, I, I'm always a believer that we're going to succeed. Um, so to me, it's a, it's a fantastic challenge. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I'm like trying to think of like times I'm like, have I had anxiety? Um, and it certainly comes in ebbs and flows, but never to the point of like feeling paralyzed, I suppose is how I should put it. I've definitely felt it, you know, it hurts. If you, you know, watch documentaries or you read the reports or you feel it viscerally, it hurts. Um, but I've, I've never personally been like paralyzed by it. So I was happy Sasha went first because I think her experience, I liked what you had to say, Sasha. Yeah, I think it's nice to have both perspectives of both sides, you know, seeing what it can, can look like for two different people. And I think that I really like the way you, you put it is that you have, you know, I, I can't remember the exact wording, but faith in nature and, and that nature is, very powerful and it, and it knows what to do. It always knows nature finds a way. And I think that's a really nice way to look at it and, and saying that, you know, we're either gonna, we're going to do it or we're not going to do it. We, we fail or we win. And I think that looking at it in that way is, is kind of enlightening. And, you know, we, we can do as much as we can humanly do ourselves and, and, you know, we're each taking our own individual actions. And that's something that personally, I to try and make myself feel better about, my own eco-anxiety is to say, well, okay, what, what can I do? What's within my own control? And if I, if I do that, then at the end of the day, if we, if we don't succeed, I know that I did everything that I possibly could. And I screamed as loud as I could on top of rooftops about, you know, what's happening and, and tried my, my hardest. And if, if that wasn't enough, then, then, you know, at least I tried. So I think it's nice to have both perspectives of, you know, feeling a really debilitating eco anxiety, but also the other side of saying, I recognize it. I've felt it a little bit. I've seen it firsthand as, as a wildfire fighter. And, but also having that nice positive touch to it of saying nature knows what it's doing. Nature finds a way. And I trust, I trust in nature. So I I really like that. I, I like both perspectives with that being said, how do both of you deal with your climate anxiety if you experience it? And do you have any recommendations for how others can deal with their own climate anxiety? Sure. So, I mean, going back to the like idea of having multiple perspectives, I think that's really important right now because I recognize that I come from a very specific like upbringing. I had a very like specific kind of just growing up, I didn't really have to worry about climate. I was able to just kind of put that on the back burner. And I think that's actually really important to recognize because right now, looking around me, looking at my classmates, looking at other young people, it kind of seems like everyone has some kind of eco grief or some kind of fear about the future going on. And once again, I hate to be overly negative, but in my opinion, that's like probably the most logical thing to do like if you know what's going on you're 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 probably going to be scared 
And I think that's all right. I think that's something that I very much needed to hear in the past that it was it's not actually you're not being illogical by being scared, by being paralyzed, by everything just being too much because it is. And a lot of us specifically shouldn't have to be in this situation, but we are. So the only reason I think I really got out of that slump was because my friend, who's also an alien, kind of dragged me to an environmental club in grade seven. And I don't think any of it would have happened without her. So that environmental club slowly morphed into Ailey as the years went on. But once again, once you find this action, then you start to realize that it does lessen climate anxiety a little bit. It does help you. And even just having a community of like-minded people definitely helped. So all of a sudden, I think I joined within a year, I joined Ailey, I joined Fridays for Future, I joined all these different clubs, I was working on so many projects, and I mean, I was feeling a lot better, but it also was really important to keep in mind that that's not a solution to the issue. You working yourself might feel better for you, but burnout is a very real thing. I've experienced it. It is not very fun. So I think it's very important to try and get to the root causes of the issue rather than just trying to do whatever you can to make yourself feel better, even if it is definitely types of action. So I think for me in the past few years, that's definitely coalesced into political action, first of all, but also climate literacy and doing more educational work. Awesome. Um, I was reading reading this book called The Blessed Unrest. And I don't know if either, either one of you have read it. It's uh, It focuses on the environmental movement and a bit of its history and provides a little bit of context. Uh, and one of the quotes in the book was, if you look at the science that describes what is happening on Earth today and aren't pessimistic, you don't have the correct data. If you meet the people in this unnamed movement and aren't optimistic, you haven't got a heart. So I think that that, that kind of speaks to, to a little bit to what you were saying, Sasha, and you know ha- that piece of community and coming together with other people to help to help maybe not solve the climate anxiety that you're experiencing, but to to alleviate it and to find peace um, and companionship in community. So yeah, maybe I'll just start with like how for me I find that anxiety, climate anxiety, just like society anxiety manifests. Um, I think I think one of the things about our, our current situation is um, we have a large gulf between what um, some people term as like our sphere of concern versus our sphere of influence. So because of social media, because of news, because of these, our ability to be in touch with the globe, we're like made aware of like these massive issues. And climate change is like the most massive issue in human history. And so we're, we have this massive sphere of concern, but then our sphere of influence is very limited, right? We're just these little automatons trying to do our little thing. And um, I think often you get caught in the space of like your sphere of concern grows beyond what your sphere of influence is. And um, A, to just be able to reflect on it and be like, okay, maybe I'm reading a little bit too much about what's going on in Brazil. Like maybe... Maybe that isn't that helpful for 
like what I can do here or, you know, whatever it might be. Or just, just recognizing that those are two things that are at play, these two dynamics, right? I think the, the second thing that exacerbates climate anxiety and just anxiety in what I've experienced is, um, and it's, it's also, I think, the mindset that has led us to our climate, uh, the damage that we've done to our climate, the position that we're in today, is our scarcity mindset. Our economy, our culture is very much based on scarcity. And, um, and that bleeds into um, how you think about yourself, you know? From an economic perspective, you never have enough. You're always gotta be consuming, you always gotta be buying things. But from like your own inner dynamic, it leads you to think you aren't enough, you aren't doing enough, I'm not enough. And um, that, that feeling leads to anxiety. It leads to these, you know, sent, like these feelings of uh, inadequacy, which, you know, cycles into depression and um, all these other things. So um, recognizing that um, you're fighting a narrative that, that makes you feel scarce. And um, to me, a big part of, um, I, I guess, recalibrating ourselves is, is facing that scarcity mindset, that narrative that we live by, and recognizing how deep it runs, um, not only in our economy, but in our interpersonal interactions and also our inner ecosystems of you know, our mind, body, spirit, and emotion. I think recognizing for me a sphere of influence, sphere of concern, and then um, addressing this kind of scarcity narrative is, is really massive. And so one of the ways that I've found that the scarcity narrative manifests negatively and can further exacerbate anxiety is um, we have, we kind of think in terms of like, if X, Y, Z falls into place, then I will find peace. And so it's like, you know, once all the oil and gas switches to renewables and once everyone follows the same path, then I will find good. Like I'll, I'll feel good. Um, rather than flipping that on its head and saying, how can I feel, find peace now in this moment and then trust that things fall into place? It sounds really paradoxical to our Western scarcity-minded you know, psyches, um, but I found that to be extremely powerful. If you can sit down and say, what, what do I, how can I find peace now? Which often requires a great deal of compassion and self-compassion. And if you can sit down and find that compassion to say, I am doing enough. I am enough. We are doing the best we can. It's from that place of peace that you then have the energy to take action and move forward and actually do the thing. But it's like paradoxical. You have to admit it's okay now and genuinely feel it to then improve. So it's like holding this tension between like, I'm doing the best I can today and I've done the best I can up to this point, but I can do better in the future. We can be better in the future. And it's, it's a dynamic. You have, you have to work on it every day. It's not a spot that you just find and all of a sudden you're great. But I think embracing that, uh, and really ultimately what that puts you in is a place of abundance, of feeling I am enough from a deep, a deep place. And, and then from there operating in the world. And um, those things for me um, have, have helped me put my anxiety into place. Yeah, no, that was fantastic. I really resonate with the, how can I find peace today? Like, how can I, I can't change anything that's going on. So how can I, in my own way, take control of the situation and be okay with what's happening and, and be at peace. 
And and then when you said that, I'm just I'm an emotional person. I'm like a little sap. And so I was like, oh, Bree, can't you can't cry? You're on a podcast right now. Don't cry. But like, it, it's funny because you saying that it is like I'm like, oh wow. My ther- I, I spent way too much money on therapy when she could have just told me that and then I wouldn't need therapy anymore. Do you find that you're able to take your climate anxiety and turn it into action? And if so, what, what action are you taking? As I mentioned before, I kind of went overboard with putting my climate anxiety into action. So once again, with Ailey, I think the first year I was there, we co-wrote a white paper, which was a document for political leaders to see student perspectives in environmental education. And during that process, I really just discovered that I was really passionate about um, really communicating with people, talking with stakeholders, with government specifically to make my voice heard because that's something that I was never able to do before. And that was really great for me because I felt like I was making a difference in the world. And so now I've had the opportunity to present to schools, politicians, companies. And I do find that, once again, this this speaking, it is really healing for me just in general to really understand what other people are dealing with as well as what I myself can experience and how I can really prevent other people from feeling the same way that I do a lot of the time. And even with working with Fridays for Future, we've done some really amazing work interviewing candidates and creating a voting guide and organizing protests. And I think that's all really important, like all these different actions. But as Sebastian mentioned during the last question, it's really important to remember that it's the system that we live in rather than ourselves that are to blame. For example, I used to get really worked up once again um, what type of food I ate because I knew that wheat had a really large like carbon footprint, um, what type of clothes I was wearing, what utensils I was using, all these different things that really made me, I guess, less hesitant to take action almost. So I think it's really important to once again stop blaming ourselves and putting that weight onto ourselves as people who once again are entrenched in the system have for our whole lives been told that we have to live a certain way or do things a certain way and that certain things are our fault. And that's why I think it's super important to, as a youth, have my perspectives heard by all levels of government, all people in power, specifically because I think that's the best way to create change for me rather than focusing on the little things that I can do as myself. For me, I'm less anxious about climate and more anxious about human relations which I think are, I, I think are like kind of the, the breeding place for our climate issues. So for me, a lot of my anxiety comes more from, you know, our political systems and our inability to have discourse, which, you know, by extension leads to the issues we have. So I'm passionate about people. And for me, I've viewed this as such a, 
it's just a beautiful challenge in my really calling us, I think, kind of back, but also to a new place of uh, relationship. And so for me, um, I think a lot of my work around climate was really externally focused, you know, solar installations and things of that nature. And yeah, working on helping discourse in whatever way in my community. But I started recognizing that actually the, the call for me for eco-anxiety was more of an inner transformation. I think wrestling with these these topics, um, I think for for human beings in general to meet the challenge that is in front of us, it's going to be difficult. But I think one of the things about anxiety is like being open and vulnerable. I think that's a big part of what we lack. And I think it, it's on both sides of the political spectrum. We have this inability to just like be vulnerable and just say, I don't know. Like I genuinely, because no one knows, um, right? It's 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 gonna work itself out. And I think the more you can focus on yourself, um, like transforming your your own grief, your own trauma, and the own narrative, your own narratives that you live by, um, it sounds kind of re- like a reversal. But in working to cultivate self compassion and transform the stories that have led you up to this point into something more positive, you naturally start to tend towards. I think more externally positive things too. I I think a lot of our climate change narrative focuses too external. It's, you know, too much on like installing solar and technological approaches and getting the right utensils, as you were saying, Sasha. But I think really it's a call to transform. And I think the anxiety that we feel, as Sasha mentioned in the beginning, uh, we should embrace, right? It's it's really, um, I think, a call to be better and embrace it and be vulnerable about it. Just say, I'm feeling anxious. Who else is? And I, and I think in that vulnerability, can create reciprocity and lean on each other. Leaning things, leaning on each other, are like the perfect example of reciprocity. It's this give and take that allows you to stand up. And it's that, that ability to lean on each other is ultimately what builds community. And I think climate is the perfect opportunity to be vulnerable. Just be okay not knowing. And I think incredible things come from that space of not knowing. And being able to embrace that tension of we're not where we want to be, but we're going to try and head there. And we have to, that tension, you can either view it, I think our society views that anxiety, that tension as negative and like you got to solve it. But actually, if you can link together and sit in that spot, that's where true creativity occurs. That's, it's in that space that, uh, yeah, the next thing will be born. So for me, I would say, as with any, that you're not feeling that great and um, that is an invitation to relationship that is an invitation to community I think that's how we, we step forward together yeah thanks Sebastian I think that the vulnerability piece again like I keep saying everything resonates with me but vulnerability is something that like in my personal life and in my in my career and in my work life and, and in the environmental sector in general, I think that vulnerability is something that's really, really important because I think that we silo ourselves as individuals and we, like not everyone, but some people silo themselves and say, this is my issue. I'm going to deal with this. You know, if we're talking about like depression, anxiety, or, or just issues in general, we say, okay, well, I got to be strong. I got to deal with this. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to work it out on my own. And, you know, I was raised that vulnerability is, a, is, is everything. And being emotional and then wearing your heart on your sleeve and saying, this is, 
who I am and this is how I'm feeling can lead to really beautiful relationships and, and help build community. Because when you're, when you're closed off and you're not sharing a piece of yourself with somebody that is weighing so heavily on you, I think that it, it puts a roadblock between pro like between you and progress, whether it be equal anxiety or whether it be something that you're experiencing in your personal life. And, and I think that the times that I've been really vulnerable have always led to the most beautiful outcomes. You know, if, if you're looking at it from a, you know, me and my executive director, Marissa, you know, when she first started, I said to her, I said, vulnerability is everything to me. And, and, and I think to the environmental sector, like I I'm excited for you to join, but I want you to know that like vulnerability is my number one thing that I need in a relationship. And, and, and like, we have to be open and we have to communicate because nothing's going to get done. If we can't be vulnerable, if I can't sit down and say to you, you know, this is how I'm feeling. I'm not feeling good right now. And we need to, we need to like sit in it and work through it. When I created the eco grief uh, workshops, when I was at McEwen, they came from a space of like me just being like, I feel horrible. This is the worst I've ever felt in my life. And I just sat in my bed and I was so distraught and upset. And I just like walked around and everyone was like, what is your problem? Why are you so upset? And I just told them, I was like, the IPCC report, like, it's horrible. Have you read it? Like, what's going on? And, and like, no one was kind of resonating with me. And even if they were, I don't think they were talking about it because they didn't want to seem so agitated about a report. And so from that space of me being like, oh, I have to tell everyone about this. I have to cry to everyone. I have to be this big emotional person that I am and and also sit in the feelings. And and I think that's like, now that after you said that, Sebastian, like that that's how progress can come and, and how really beautiful things come. I never realized that that space, that eco-grief circle and, and workshop that came from me being, <laughs> feeling really awful, but something really great came out of it. And so I think that this whole conversation today has been just so enlightening, even from like a personal perspective, even if this episode didn't get released, I think that it at least affected one, one person, me, and it made me feel really great and really uplifted and really hopeful. And thank you both so much for sitting down with me and I'm feeling really enlightened and I hope that, that everybody else is too. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope you learned a bit more about eco-anxiety, gained some insight into how others experience it, and found ways to help you deal with your own eco-anxiety. If you'd like to learn more, check out the resources in the show notes. In our next episode, we'll be joined by Jen and Jeremy Tweddle from the Emerald Award-winning Canmore Community Cruisers to chat about winter biking. Make sure to click the follow button so you get notified when we post the episode. The What on Earth Can We Do podcast is a program of the Alberta Emerald Foundation, a nonprofit charity that showcases, inspires, and empowers Alberta's environmental achievements. To learn more about the Alberta Emerald Foundation, head to our website, emeraldfoundation.ca, or follow us on social media at Alberta Emerald. A big thank you to our sponsors, the City of Edmonton, the Government of Alberta, Syncrude operated by Suncor, Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation and Beverage Container Management Board, Capital Power, the City of Calgary, Dow Canada, and the Alberta Forest Products Association.